Graduates Conversations podcast. Welcome to another episode of uh, All Graduates Conversations podcast. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I am very lucky indeed to have Despina Amanatidu with me. And um, today we'll be talking about how some healthcare professionals choosing not to utilize the services of a professional interpreter, as uh, they may think that the patient has enough English skills or they are happy to use a family member instead, especially within regards to more established languages. Um, now, Despina is a certified interpreter and translator in uh, Greek language, and uh, she also works as a full-time medical interpreter uh, for a major Melbourne hospital and has done so for over nine years or so. Um, and she also volunteers with OZIT as uh, their Vice President of Events and Professional Development. And just recently, she's completed her master's degree uh, at RMIT University. So congratulations and welcome, Despina. Hello, Fatih. Thank you very much. Thank you for this introduction. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us today. It's, very, it's a delight to have you here um, as a practitioner and as someone who's just completed their uh, tertiary education in um, translating and interpreting as well. We might touch a little bit on the importance of that too. Uh, My pleasure. You've got experience um, as a full-time medical interpreter more than nine years in the field. So, and, and we've been talking about building the level of professionalism in our industry um, so that we are getting the respect that we finally deserve, working with many other professionals uh, like doctors and other healthcare professionals in the medical setting. How, how does this still happen and how often does this happen? I know that um, uh, this has happened historically, but I actually thought that uh, it was happening less and less and doctors and healthcare professionals were using professional interpreters more often compared to before. Why has this happened? It's interesting uh, what you're saying, Fatih, that you were under the impression that this was happening uh, less and less as time goes by and as interpreters undergo more training, uh, they become more professional, so to speak. But in my opinion, according to my observations, I think it happens often enough. It probably happens more than before. So enough to warrant looking into it in terms of why this is happening and what possible strategies can we employ to mitigate its effects really. So as I was saying, according to my observations, it happens more frequently in recent years. I have seen an increase in patients choosing to communicate directly with a health professional or assigning this role to their relatives that are present at the time of the consultation. So in my nine years of experience, I see it more often happening in the last few years, three or four, rather than the previous years. So it is an interesting phenomenon is, and quite widespread. Um, now, do, do you think it is because the healthcare professional is thinking that 
um, or maybe there's not a standard of service when it comes to interpreters. Sometimes they might get a really professional interpreter. Another time they might get someone who's not so professional. Um, so at least by using a family member, they're just going to get the same person every time. You know, do you think that has something to do with it? Absolutely. I do believe it has a lot to do with it. So there's a few reasons that I think this might be happening. So firstly, I need to say that I've observed it happening more with established languages, what we call established languages, meaning languages for which interpreter services have been provided for a long time. So Can you give us a few these languages? languages? Yeah, sure. So starting with my very own working language, which is Greek, as you mentioned, but then from what colleagues tell me, it has to do with so many other languages, Italian, Serbian, Spanish, Turkish, probably Mandarin, just to name a few. It's really widespread. It occurs way often. So um, I think firstly, this happens because these patients have been uh, here, so residing in Australia, living in Australia for quite a few decades. Therefore, they have acquired a um, level of English that we can call functional. So it's, uh, it permits them to successfully communicate in their day-to-day -day interactions where there's no need for specialized terminology. There are no concepts uh, uh, that are complex to be uh, referred to. So it's fine for day-to-day -day interactions. But obviously, it's not the same when it comes to a medical diagnosis or communicating in difficult and complex medical jargon with a healthcare professional. So uh, because they have this functional level of English, these patients probably falsely assume that um, it will be enough to get them by in their interaction with a medical professional or the healthcare professional. So secondly, and just as importantly, I think, um, there's a wide misconception that every bilingual person can act as an interpreter. So now you and I, we know that this is not the case. Interpreting is not so much a natural talent that someone is born with, but it's a profession. So a profession that requires a lot more than the ability to speak one language, two languages or more. So it requires training, understanding of the various theories that underpin practice and professional judgment, um, the ethical principles that um, guide our code of ethics and um, how it safeguards the interests of the communities that we serve. Uh, also continuous professional development Cost and brushing up of our skills in terms of the maintenance of language and the maintenance of culture, or both cultures and both languages, I should say, actually. So there's a lot of skill that goes into it. It doesn't happen overnight. So, um, yeah. Who, who can we find or who can we say the responsibility belongs to? I mean, does it belong to the patient? Does it belong to the healthcare professional? Um, you know, let's say I'm there as an interpreter and the patient says, no, I don't need you. For example, I mean, as interpreters, we might have seen this quite often. Uh, the patient might say, oh, look, I speak, I speak English well or I have my son, daughter here. They're going to interpret for me. I mean, what do you recommend the interpreter does then? Do they just go, oh, yep, no worries. I'll just go and get my signature and off to the next job that I go. 
I certainly don't suggest that the interpreter does that. This is not best practice because uh, then we leave the situation, I think, unresolved. So to come back to your first question, whom the responsibility lies with, it's a shared responsibility. Quality, optimal health outcomes are always and will forever be a shared responsibility. So all of us, all the stakeholders have a role to play in it. So the interpreter, the patient, the health professional, the organization, the institution. So what the interpreter should do in this instance when uh, the patient is saying, I don't need you, I can do it myself, or my son, my daughter, my, someone else can do it for me. Um, look, we cannot force our services, our interpreting services, in patients that are reluctant receiving them. That's for sure, and we wouldn't do that. But we can explain our role, where the difference lies. So we adhere to a code of ethics. We've undergone training and professional development to be able to do that, to provide this service. And we have to explain our role to both uh, parties, patient, family and friends and the professionals. And ultimately leave it up to them to make a yeah. judgment, which I recommend it's a documented judgment just in case things don't go according to plan because there's also this scenario, unfortunately. That's correct. Like if a patient says that to me, I sometimes, I, I usually would say, well, let's go and check with the doctor as well because at the end of the day, uh, we have two clients, right? It's not just the non-English speaking person. It's also the professional there. So we are interpreting for two clients here. So I always say, look, let's go and check with the doctor as well. Um, uh, if, if they are happy to not have me here as well, then, then we can talk about it then. But usually the doctor... 99% of the time will also say, yes, the interpreter is here for me too. I need the interpreter. Um, so then the patient will accept that too, and it does go on. Um, but I have also seen some doctors go, oh, yeah, yeah that's fine, family member's okay. Um, so, you know, it's and then it, it disheartens me to say, oh, okay, the professional's supposed to have our backs here because at the end of the day we all have the same goal of achieving the most optimum health outcome for the patient here. Right? That's correct. So um, there's not much to be done in this case when the professional says, no, that's okay, uh, we'll use a relative or a friend or a carer. There's not much to be done, uh, but at least we have, uh, you know, we have shown them in words the difference that we could potentially make. If we are being rejected, then it's a matter of... Um, Overall, looking into the education of professionals and clinical staff, it's not anymore on a case-to-case -case as like your client or your doctor. It's a holistic approach, organizational approach, I think, yeah. Perhaps um, hospitals or healthcare institutions, they have a responsibility as well in regards to training their staff about the importance of using a professional interpreter as opposed to a family member or someone who speaks some English. Absolutely. And usually hospitals do have these programs, these training programs, 
but I think they're not mandatory for medical staff mm. and uh, there might be an issue with that. And on the other hand, if the patient is insisting not wanting an interpreter, uh, there's not much we can do. But what we could be doing is looking why would the patient insist on not wanting an interpreter when this patient has been identified as requiring interpreting service? Uh, so we can only uh, start fixing the things with, that we can fix that's, that's by ourselves, question. and then we can proceed. Uh, because, I mean, why is this patient rejecting their right to an interpreter, which is their right by the Victorian um, Human Rights Charter? Why is this patient rejecting this service? I mean, could it be perhaps that they had a bad experience with an interpreter before and they feel like they can do a better job? Do you think this might be the cause or is it because maybe the community is really tight and small and they might be too embarrassed to share that information and because they don't know the role of the interpreter and the code of ethics that we have to abide by and they might choose not to have an interpreter? Do you think this would have a play in it too? I think the short answer to all the valid points you made is yes. So there's a variety of reasons. Yeah, firstly, a community can be really small, so they don't want the interpreter who's part of their community knowing what's happening with their health situation. Uh, secondly, it could be that they don't uh, hold the profession, the interpreting profession at a high esteem because they probably have had an, a bad or unpleasant experience with interpreter previously. But what we can do from our end is to look into us why this might have happened. Why would they have a bad experience? Could it be because an interpreter wasn't professional? Or shall we take the things a little bit from the beginning? Let's go a little bit uh, further back in time. So as you know well, there was a time up until a few years ago that training wasn't compulsory mm -hmm. uh, for anyone to become an interpreter. So anyone bilingual uh, could very well sit a test and go on and work as an interpreter. And, and now, without ethics test, correct? Yeah, but just one test. Yeah, that lasted less for one hour. So, uh, what confidence would the community, our clients, have in someone that acquired their profession, so to speak, with less than one hour testing? Mm. I personally wouldn't have enough confidence on a professional of that kind, if we can call it professional, even I'm not too sure. So uh, it is important for ourselves to be the best professionals we could ever be by doing the things that we were talking about earlier, by training ourselves and continually doing so, adhering to professional development, maintaining up our skills, uh, be current with all the developments in our industry, including technological developments. So there is a lot of work that uh, potentially does not stop. And it is work that I want to believe us and our colleagues want to be doing to uh, offer the best service that we can offer to our clients, both the communities and the medical staff. So the, the collective responsibility falls on us practitioners as well to make sure that we are always um, keeping our skills up to date and uh, getting some kind of formal training, if we can, to 
lift those skills up and maybe gain some of that respect that has been lost or regain some of that respect that has been lost over the um, last few decades? Absolutely so. And I think uh, now with the NATI certification and recertification scheme, it's compulsory for us uh, to undergo training before we go out there and practice. So um, that is a step definitely in the right direction. Very good. Um, now, do you think with the whole current COVID-19 situation uh, that uh, this choosing not to use an interpreter, is it happening a little bit more often than it was? Or what, what are your, what's your experience on that? Because I believe most of the interpreting is done through remote interpreting now, either through video telehealth interpreting or telephone interpreting. Uh, do you find that, uh, especially the professionals, they find it a little bit of a nuisance to use the technology? Um, what's your experience in that? Yes, I agree with you. It happens a lot more uh, now during the times of a pandemic. I mean, a pandemic complicates everything by default, translating and interpreting included. So uh, because all assignments have been allocated to remote interpretation, as you're saying, either video or telephone, and I believe more so telephone, at least for my workplace, um, it has become um, a luxury to use interpreter services. That is done due to, uh, I think, both necessity and convenience. So in terms of necessity, there is um, the need for the patient to spend the least possible amount of time in the consultation room to avoid, obviously, spreading the virus, mm -hmm. but also necessity because... Um, uh, the professional that tries to engage an interpreter over the phone or over video, it, it's taking slightly longer. So if at There's times... There's a few extra steps they have to take. Yes, yeah, slightly longer, not really extremely longer. Which might take them a little bit out of their comfort zone, especially with exactly someone. Exactly right. So that's true. So if the patient can get by more or less, or has someone with them that can assist them somewhat, then it's more uh, often that a professional interpreter won't be used for this consultation, mm -hmm. which is not the right thing to do. So I guess how do we start resolving this? It doesn't look like it's going to be fixed overnight. It's been an issue that's been, as you're saying, been going on for quite some time now and uh, has evolved with the current COVID-19 situation. There are other challenges and demands put on top of the current demands already. Um, so how do, how do we resolve this as the practitioner, as the healthcare provider, as the, the patient? I mean, what needs to be done here, do you think, to reduce these numbers of not using an interpreter? So there is a twofold approach again. So the individual, the professional's approach uh, to the issue, and um, the collective, the industry approach to the issue. So as professionals, firstly, uh, we have the obligation to uh, be the best that we can be by doing everything that a professional is required to do and by presenting 
articulating our case, I should say, to both the patients and the medical professionals in a comprehensible way, making them aware of what they're possibly missing out on by not using professional interpreter services and also the dangers that this entails too because, you know, we have witnessed, unfortunately, adverse health outcomes due to uh, lack of professional interpreters being provided. So this is not something that anyone wants to be witnessing anytime soon, but this is a real danger when we don't use professional interpreters. So we have to make a point of that and we have to make a point of the difference of the service that we provide. So what I am saying usually, you don't know the difference that a professional interpreter will bring to the table unless you've used the services of one. Mm-hmm. So when you keep doing it yourself, you don't know what you're missing out on. And that goes for both parties, the patients and the healthcare professionals. So if a patient, as we were saying before, has had a bad experience with no good experience to compare it with, so they don't really know. And it's the professional then meaning the healthcare professional that needs uh, to take charge of the consultation and not impose interpreting services, but uh, highly suggest and recommend interpreting services. I mean, you're at the end of the day, it is up to the patient. The buck does stop with the patient. Um, it is their human rights. Um, uh, but uh, hopefully, if, if you are a patient and you're listening and you've had some... Uh, unpleasant experiences with an interpreter. Give us another go. Um, there are a lot of interpreters out there who have received some really, really good training now, uh, maybe as compared to before. Um, so give us another go. Um, the doctors, if you're listening, make sure that uh, you know you're up to date with your interpreter training. Um, we are only now just a click away or a phone call away. Um, please use our services. We are there for you and for the patient. And I guess for the interpreters, you've got to keep upskilling. You need to make sure that um, you do you do show to those patients and doctors, yes, there are really good interpreters out there more and more these days. So make sure to utilise our services because potentially, I mean, it could be a life and death situation here. At the end of the day, uh, uh, we have a shared goal of uh, getting the most optimum health outcome for the patient, would you say? 100% agree. Uh, just want to emphasize the uh, bit that we're there for the health care professional as well, just as we are there for the patient. That's right. So we are there to enable them as well to deliver effective patient care and to enhance patient experience altogether. So we're a bonus to both parties in the consultation. That is for sure goes without saying. Indeed, I always say to uh, my students, well, there is always two clients. There is not just the one client. So we need to make sure that we are servicing both of those clients. And yes, um, make sure that you utilize our services. Don't let this training into nothing, lovely people out there. Um, Despina, would you like to add anything else? Um, I just wanted to mention that uh, OZIT, the Australian Institute of Interpreters and Translators, has developed uh, telephone interpreting protocols that are followed correctly, will definitely make the experience 
for both patients and clinicians uh, more pleasant, smoother, and, um, yeah, better altogether. So it's a good idea to uh, familiarise ourselves with that and also promote them to the health professionals in the organisations that we work with. That's a very good point you make because I guess up until a few months ago, you know, majority of the telephone interpreting maybe could have been about bills and utility bills and things like that. But more and more these days we have um, health services, health interpreting services as well as legal interpreting services being provided now uh, by remote interpreting, by uh, telephone interpreting and video interpreting. So I think it's really, really important that we do keep up to date um, with these guidelines and you're saying with these new guidelines as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, correct. Very important because it's going to be a big part of what we're going to be doing for at least yeah. a foreseeable future. I don't think uh, things are going to go back in a hurry to the way they were. Um, so, you know, we're talking about the new normal these days. Um, so I think it's uh, now is the time to start perfecting our remote interpreting skills, I guess. Yes, and our... Um, our- uh, bet, getting better quiet uh, with technology because everything is done now virtually, like this conversation, this podcast, same with everything else. So it's a good idea to brush up those skills as well. Very good. Despina Amanatido, thank you very much for joining me today in our podcast. And hopefully I'll see you again in some of our future podcasts. It would be my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Fatih, for having me. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And please subscribe to our YouTube page, subscribe to um, our podcast channels, which are Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. And um, hopefully we'll see you next week. Take care. All Graduates Conversations Podcast.